0: Chapter Twenty Seven of From Mud to Mufti by Bruce Baron's father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. Arrival on Carso, Brescia, a heated war, tranquil Udine. It wasn't long before I started my examination of the Italian front. The next morning, the general very kindly arranged for me to go down in a car to see life on the Carso. He had it all fixed up with the Italian authorities, and I was free to go right up to the front towards Trieste. We set off in an English car and made for some spot with a name something or other like Sarsaparilla, in order to see a famous regiment of Bersaglieri, who were then in trenches south of Grecia. Any liking I had for warmth and sunshine was fully gratified here. It was scorching hot. The roads were white with burning dust, the trees simply frizzling in the summer sun to touch the leather upholstery or the metal sides of the car was nearly impossible the heat was immense fighting battles in this weather must be a poor line i thought and now was to come my first view of the italian army in the field i conjured up ideas founded mostly on colored pictures i had seen of the famous Bersaglieri with their plumed hats and gallant charges across open country shouting soul-stirring phrases as they pushed heroically forever onward the flag of italy waving proudly in the breeze I arrived on the Carso and found apparently a group of organ-grinders playing cards under a tree, all very swarthy, healthy, and happy. "'These are bersaglieri,' said my officer-guide. "'You should never go by appearances. A guard's parade outside Buckingham Palace is a very sorry indication of the same regiment and billets behind Ypres. These bersaglieri were resting, and even if they weren't, they did the battle-business minus any of the highly-coloured heroism beloved of artists. Those wonderful plumed hats, where were they? Back in Milan or Rome, I suppose, in a wardrobe with camphor bags. There was a great mob of these men sitting about under shrubs and trees in the blazing heat. The trenches were a short way off, being held in shifts, as it were. There was no shelling, no rifle fire. A delightful calm Italian day with the sun shining down on the tranquillity of the Carso. This is the sort of war I like much better than that noisy, dangerous, running-about, waterlogged ploughed fields I had been used to. Unfortunately, I found it had not always been like this. There had been some terrific scraps with the Austrians around this spot, and I was shown how far these people had been driven back. The bersaglieri, which are some of the finest troops in Europe, had, to put it plainly, wiped the floor with the Austrians around there, and had suffered very heavily in doing so i went all around that area and saw thousands of italian soldiers some resting some in the trenches they are a wonderfully swarthy healthy crowd but what a different landscape to fight in from our front instead of the sticky mass of sloppy sandbags along the edge of a narrow canal which constitute the normal trench on the western front these men had nothing but rocks and sand to deal with The Carso has about two inches of soil over solid rock, so you can imagine what making trenches is like. Moreover, when a shell lands on ground like this, the resulting explosion is greatly augmented by flying bits of rock. The first thing that struck me about the Carso itself was what on earth did anybody want to fight about it for. I would willingly give it away if I owned it. It's a huge, barren, rocky desert, that's all the part i was now inspecting was just opposite gorizia to the south lay trieste and it was possible to see from the place i was in the mountainous difficulties lying between the italians and the capture of that city there is a nasty-looking mountain called the Ermada which is right in the way of a march on trieste the italians had made wonderful progress prior to my visit but were now sitting down a bit to consider what was the best way to snooker the austrians who had fortified this hermada with howitzers and barbed wire to an alarming degree. A day doesn't go very far when one starts looking at a front. I spent the whole of this first day squinting about round this one regiment, its trenches, and its billets, and in the wonderful Italian evening drove back to Udine. Those warm southern days breed wondrous evenings. There is a still, clear warmth under the glorious deep night blue, the people are all sitting outside their houses, and everything is bathed in a sort of Venetian tranquillity. When I got back, it was about six o'clock, and I went out for a prowl around the town. I have most pleasing memories of Udine, so picturesque and so tranquil. Except for the fact that there were a good many assorted kinds of Italian soldiers strolling about, you wouldn't have known there was a war on. The architecture, too, was old-world and pleasing. A lot of Roman effort still remained in a goodly sprinkling of the Venetian period. What bold lads those Romans were! I stood bashfully in the main square of the town looking at a group of nude statues, and dwelt upon the lack of Y.M.C.As and the absence of Mrs. Grundy in the days of Vespasian. They are a happy healthy crew, these Italians, and I've half a mind to live in Udine when I retire. I had dinner in some café or other, and sat out in the courtyard under the wonderful sky a distant song or perhaps a mandolin being played was the only noise which broke on that calm evening air in this curious unwarlike scene full of all the beauty of this wonderful land i couldn't help visioning my past career in the war how little i thought as i went forth to the war an impecunious submerged second lieutenant that one day i should see all the fronts have dinners with the great ones and be sitting in the character of a freelance under the southern evening sky in old udine i even thought farther back still back to the weird dark abyss in my life when as an electrical engineer earning two pounds ten shillings a week i returned in a wood-pulp carrying ship from canada just in time to participate in this mighty conflict if someone had come to me whilst i sat on that ship with the cook who was peeling potatoes and told me that one day i should be having dinner with the duke of milan in an old italian garden near venice i should have told him to go to-well never mind anyway i shouldn't have believed him it's a comic world but there are times when the comedy is hard to see and yet these things have actually happened to me i wandered back to my billets late at night and keenly awaited the next day i was to go to see Monfalcone, which was the nearest point possible to trieste and there would be able to survey the whole of the battle line which meant so much to italy I should also be able to get a distant view of trieste which can be seen from Monfalcone this then was my programme for the following day end of chapter twenty seven recording by philip gould